Welcome back to another episode of Tailgate Till May. I'm your host, Stephen Gorgie, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host, Brian Kaufman. We're back for another episode to talk about what you care about most in the world of college sports. We have a great show planned for you today, but first a reminder, you can subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast. That's Apple, Spotify, Google, you name it. And if you like the show, we'd love if you subscribe and leave us a five-star review. You can also find me on Twitter, at Gorgon Sports. That's where you'll find my college basketball gambling picks and other various musings. Really riding the roller coaster right now on the picks. Down, then up, down again, kind of back to even now. So follow along. It's your choice. Fade or follow. Either could be a valid strategy at any given moment. Brian, how you doing? I'm doing great, man. I got to figure it out, too. I'm on a wicked cold streak, so I got to go back do my research on your picks and figure out if I'm rolling with you or not for this upcoming week. But I got to take it out of my own hands because the way I'm doing it right now is not working. You had a really bad beat. Well, maybe bad beat's not the right word, but you had a, a bet that didn't go well earlier today, like the simplest of bets. What, what was that one? Yeah, I was trying to get back on track, So, and I wanted a quick win. So I bet the opening kickoff of Bills-Bengals to be a touchback. The Maryland game was still on, so I pull it up on my phone. I see the snow. I'm like, oh, my God, am I really about to lose this? And, of course, ball lands at about the one-yard line, 20-yard return, ho-hum. You know, nobody watching the game cares except me. 20 bucks down, just like that, just trying to find a winner. So uh, we'll get back. We'll get back on the horse. Uh, this week and see if we can turn things around. Oof. Desperate times call for desperate <laughs> measures. That's what that's what that bet seems like. Yeah. <laughs> and it seems like a coach down late, nothing's working. Yeah. You're like, we don't play a zone at all. We're gonna throw a zone out there. Yeah, I'm gonna get like a notification the next time I open the app that's like, hey man, like we saw that last bet. Like, are you sure everything's okay? <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh. Well, Brian's gotta get back on track when it comes to the NFL, but we were watching college basketball all day, all weekend long, even amongst all these great NFL division round actions. We're going to have a little in out about this NFL division round, divisional round later in the show, but we got to kick this off with college basketball because on this day, Sunday, as we record just a couple hours earlier, the number one team in the country, Houston, went down at home to the Temple Owls, 66 to 65, just a day after the number two team in the country, the Kansas Jayhawks, lost by 23 in Fog Allen to TCU. Brian, a wild and crazy weekend. Really just kind of emphasized how wide open this college basketball season is right now. Got to start with Houston going down. Anytime a number one team loses, got to hit on that first. Should we be worried about Houston at all? Yeah, maybe. This one surprised me. I, I like... It just feels like it. Maybe it's because they play in a in a non super major conference. I guess I would say like they don't usually trip up on games like this. I think they're nineteen or twenty point favorites in a game, and they've just been so consistently good. You you don't expect them to have the slip up. So I don't want to you know ring the alarm bells off of one loss, but it, the way it happened, it was sort of a weird. Like, if you look at the box score, like Temple's leading scorer shot one of nine and and scored seven points, right? Like, you, if if a, if you're going to get upset like that, you think like, oh, they have a, like a ball dominant guard who's just going to fill it up for 35 or something, right? But that didn't really happen. Um, you know, it, it was they, – they simply went 
cold. They didn't shoot well. They shot 52% from the line. They're a 72%, you know, free throw shooting team on the season. Like, things like that. And and from the field, too, they struggled. So, obviously, if they get that number up even to 60%, they win the game. But it was it was just really unexpected. And so, I... I, I'm, you know, we're going to do our top fives and I'll still have Houston in mine. I still think that they are, you know, the same team I thought they were, but it, it does give you a little bit of pause, at least for me. I'd be interested to hear if you agree. Yeah, man. I, so we didn't, we weren't on the air much last year talking college basketball. I did a few shows here or there, but offline, you know, I was riding Houston pretty hard all season long. I had a bet on them to make the final four. I had a bet on them to make the, uh, to win the national championship. It's pretty profitable on that team throughout the year. And there's something I will just never forget about that team. And that is them going one for 20 in the elite eight against Villanova. And anytime I think about Houston, when you talk about competing at the absolute highest level now going for a national championship because they've done everything else you can do over the past couple of years. They've been to a final four. They went to a lead eight last year. Like the next step for them is very clearly win the national championship, especially when you're the number one team in the country. And I, I think you're right that they are still what we expected them to be in terms of they're a great defensive team. They're physical. They actually do shoot better from three than they did last year. They're about 35 and a half percent from three on the season compared to last year. They were 30, uh, 33.8%. So a bit better actually, but today it came back to bite them again. One of seven in the second half from beyond the arc. And I think that's just what you're going to have to live with if you are rooting for this Houston team, if you're invested monetarily in this Houston team, you got to expect that they got to win. They're going to win these games with defense. And there's always that chance that they go cold. I think you're absolutely nuts. If you bet them right now as a six to one favorite to win the national championship, like how could in this season you bet any team as a six to one at six to one to win the national championship? Yeah, I couldn't. No, you shouldn't. It feels like, and I mean, I thought you said it well a few minutes ago. Like, it feels like getting into the top five has been a curse this season in college basketball. It's it's a roller coaster. Teams are playing well, and then they lose games they shouldn't. And other teams rise up. They look good. They lose games they shouldn't. And so, yeah, I it doesn't seem to me like there's any good bet at six to one. I think you're you're right on the point with that. You know, another thing that really stood out watching this game is that Temple kind of out. Houston, Houston, they were really aggressive defensively. Houston still had the edge when it came to offensive rebounding, which is, you know, the, the standard for them. They couldn't convert on a lot of those opportunities, but Temple was played great defensively. They won a game in the fifties. And then what Temple did really well was they didn't shoot, you know, an outstanding percentage from beyond the arc, which is typically how a lot of upsets happen. They were eight of 24, respectable 33% but they got to the free throw line 22 times and they were 20 of 22 at the stripe where Houston, they got there 21 times, but they were 11 of 21. And that's a, you know, that's kind of another way an upset happens when you give a team a chance uh, and missing 10 free throws is not good. So I think those are real legitimate things you do have to be concerned with. If you're going to pick Houston 
in your March Madness pool later on, if you're going to bet Houston in the tournament, if you're going to bet, I don't think there's anything to be concerned about with them for the rest of the season. But I think when you're thinking about Houston, you got to be thinking tournament right now. Because like I said, they've done everything else there is to do. The AAC is not going to be a tremendous challenge. That's their first conference loss on the season. Uh, I, I would just, I would have hoped to see Houston be a little sharper in a home game where they were a 19 and a half point favorite. Yeah. And uh, we didn't see it. We didn't see no. it from them. No, I think, I mean, and Temple's no slouch. I mean, I think it's important to know, right? They, they beat Rutgers earlier in the season. They beat Villanova, who's, you know, obviously having an off year, but it'll be interesting for me. These, these two teams meet again on February 5th. There's not a ton of games between now and then. And so I guess, you know, yes, they, they went cold and neither of us are speculating that Temple's a better team here, but it, it's important for me for them to be able to go on the road to Temple and kind of redeem this loss and look a little bit better. So this will be what I'm looking forward to in a couple of weeks. Yeah, couldn't couldn't agree more. They got to prove that, and this will be a theme, I think, with a lot of teams we talk about today, that they got to prove you can be be consistent, you can bounce back, and you can adapt to what didn't work the first time. So that'll be one to watch moving forward. Agreed. Number two, Kansas Jayhawks took two losses this week. First, lost midweek to in-state rival Kansas State, 83-82 to in overtime. Great basketball game. I came away from that game super impressed with both of those teams. And then on Saturday, lost 83 to 60 at home to TCU. Can't say I felt the same way walking away from that one where I was really impressed with both teams. You just don't see Kansas lose by 23 at home. And it was really the game was over early on. TCU outscored Kansas 33 to 13 in the first 10 minutes of the game. It was actually 14 to 13 and TCU went on a 19 to 0 run. They were getting at their forcing turnovers, getting out in transition. Kansas looked like it had absolutely no answer for them during that little stretch there. And TCU really came away with a dominant performance. So don't want to be too repetitive here, but how concerned are you about Kansas? Yeah, I, that felt like such a normal bounce back spot, right? The the tough loss on the road to the rival. It was close. It was a great game. You come home against a good team and you remind folks that you're still there. You're still good. You're still Kansas. And it super didn't happen that way. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, it was similar, right? Jalen Wilson had a big game um, and we've come to expect that out of him. Um but nobody else really did. And the sporting cast has been pretty good all year for them. Uh, you know, Grady Dick's been really solid and he shot three of 13. I mean, you can go down the box score and, and see that everybody else essentially on the team struggled. Um, I, I do feel like a Bill self coach team has generally earned some benefit of the doubt. They've won the league so many damn times. Like to me, they're, they're, they're still right there, right? Like, obviously, they're still right there. But I, I did. I was impressed with TCU, and like you said, I was impressed with Kansas State too. I mean, that's a team we we have to talk about. That that end of game sequence was so awesome in that game. The the alley oop to to Johnson to win it. So, um, to answer your question, I'm. I feel like I should be more concerned than I am, but I'm gonna give them a chance to right the ship, not let the wheels fall off. I don't think that, you know, I certainly don't anticipate that this is going to turn into some 
wild losing streak where they don't get it together. That said, at Baylor and at a suddenly competent, at least Kentucky, are their next two games, right? So it's going to be a really, really interesting week. They're ice cold and Baylor's not an easy place to play. So I'm not concerned, but I'm, I would say I'm, you know, my, my radar's up and I'm going to watch them closely this week. I would say this too, one other note before I pass it over to you, like you can, obviously they're cold. You can get plus odds on Kansas to win the conference right now. And like, to me, that seems reasonable to pull the trigger on. Cause obviously if you have concerns, then you shouldn't. But if I'm over here, like, listen, I trust Bill Self to write the ship. He's won this league so many times. There's a lot of good teams. They have as good a shot as, uh, as any. You know, I think that they'll, you know, get revenge on the Kansas State game when, in the rematch, things like that. If you're telling me I can get plus odds on that team to win, I, I like the way that looks. Okay, to play devil's advocate with you here for a second, since the start of the new year, Kansas is 4-2, and two, and those are all conference games. However... In three of those wins, they beat Texas Tech by three points, they beat Oklahoma by four points, and they beat Iowa State by two points. And then if you go over to BartTorvik.com, great advanced analytics site that I love, if you filter to since uh, January 3rd to now, which encompasses that seven or that six game stretch, rather, they're number 26 in the country. Uh, They're offensive efficiency is 57th and their defensive efficiency is 54th. So I I think, I don't think you can say at all that Kansas is playing their best basketball or at this moment they're playing, um, they're playing among the best teams in the country. They, I, I feel like we should have seen this coming a little bit more. And we did mention they had played a bunch of close games, I just didn't see them getting blown out the way they did against TCU. I, I saw some regression where or I felt like they were, you know, they played a lot of close games. They were maybe in for some more close games and inevitably they would drop a few of them. I just didn't get just didn't see them getting blown out like that, especially the way you mentioned Jalen Wilson's playing. I mean, I think outside of Zach Eady, nobody in the country is playing better. He had 30 of their 60 points in that game uh, against Kansas state. He had 38 points. I think he's hands down the big 12 player of the year. So, you know, for those reasons it's hard and, and the pedigree of Kansas and Bill self and this team, it's hard to go against them. But if you look at the last three weeks, they're not playing their best basketball. And if it's, if, if one of their problems is teams that can get out and transition and run and, and are athletic, the Big 12 stock full of those teams. And now if you look at Ken Palm, another great advanced analytics site, Ken Palm projects right now that the Big 12 will finish in a four-way tie for first place with Kansas State, Kansas, Texas, and Iowa State all finishing at 11-7. and seven. And Baylor and TCU right behind them at 10-8. and eight. So Ken Palm thinks Kansas is going to take a bunch more losses on the year. Uh, you just mentioned that you like Kansas at plus odds, but would that be the team that you bet right now, given the the odds? You have Kansas at plus 125, Kansas State at plus 195, Texas plus 700, Iowa State plus 850, TCU plus 950, and Baylor plus 1700, 17 to 1. Yeah, I mean, this is why why I'm going to ride with you. This is why I got to visit your Twitter account this week and get back on track. That all makes sense. Um, I think I think if I'm being honest with you, it, it, it is one of those like 
if I look at the Big 12 and I see a, a a jumble of teams, which I do, I'm not trying to make the argument that I still think Kansas is clear in a way the best team. Um, I don't. But if you see a, kind of a jumble where I'm like, okay, I could see it going Kansas's way, Kansas State's way, Texas's way, Iowa State's way. I It's one of those things I can say, okay, I've seen them, you know, in tight conference races pull it out before, but I don't think given the odds – it would be a sensible bet. I think there's actually, I mean, really, if you're looking at it and you're talking about all those teams in, in the jumble and a few of them getting plus 700, plus 800 level odds, that's the bet to place. So I would look at Texas or Iowa State in in, in that sense. But I think it's a stay away because I think I, I do see Kansas getting it together um, and and pulling it out. Yeah, I would. I'm not betting any of it right now, too, because I just feel like the Big 12 is a very fun conference to watch, but a very hard conference to handicap at the moment. Because yeah. again, you have TCU, TCU team, by the way, which was coming off a loss to West Virginia, goes into Fog Allen, wins by 23, blows the doors off of them. Uh, so it, it's hard. And this is, by the way, a TCU team as well that lost to Northwestern State in November. Now, a lot can change from November to January and especially to March, but that, that loss is on their resume, and, and now they're beating Kansas by 20. So at the moment, I this is a league where I'm just like, I want to sit back, enjoy it, watch it. Um, I don't think there's a better story in the league than Kansas State. We, I do want to talk about them as we're kind of ta- doing some Big 12 talk, doing some Kansas talk, because I think that's the one of the best stories in the country right now. You might remember Keontae, jo- Keontae Johnson, who was at Florida, collapsed on the floor in a game against Florida State in that 2020-2021 season, had not truly played since, had kind of had an honorary appearance for Florida. Uh, it was an extremely scary moment when that collapse happened. So he had not played an actual minute of, of basketball since then, transferred to Kansas State for this season. And he has been, I mean, do you think, it is it an overstatement to say one of the best players in the country? Not at all. No. And and to, to lead a program like that, that is exceeding expectations as such, right? He has been the best story in college basketball. And Kansas State under Jerome Tang, I mean, couple that with Jerome Tang, longtime Baylor assistant coming over to a conference rival. He seems to be one of the most fun, energetic, likable coaches, at least if he's coaching your program, that you could possibly get behind. Like, I don't know if you saw in their most recent win after the game, he he jumped in the stands uh, after their win against Texas Tech. He went it went in the stands and was like celebrating with the fans and just kind of pushed through security. He's like, let me through there. I want to go celebrate with the students. That's great. That's exactly what you want. And and that's it's an example of a program like it had I, the Kansas State program had just sort of gotten stale. Right. And and they just weren't weren't relevant. Right. Like I, it's harsh, but it's true. So those are the that, that's exactly what you want from from a coach who's turning it around. So yeah, I mean, they're, they're one of the stories of the year nationally and, and realistically look like a complete team who can be a problem in March. They really do. It's, it's, it's so unexpected and pretty impressive. And Brian, I think there's a ton to be said for the kind of new, the energy a new coach can bring to a program, which is why I, 
you know, in college basketball, I feel like it's almost a very different than college football where coaching changes are talked about from September 1st to August 31st, right? It's a 365-day-a-year hot seat in college football. And in college basketball, it's like it almost feels like you're not even allowed to talk about a coach's job or, you know, if there's the uh, possibility of, of making a change. And you look at, like, two programs in the Big 12. Bruce Weber had been there since 2013. He had done some good things for that program, but they had really fallen off. They, um, in the 2020 season that, where the tournament didn't happen, they weren't going to make the tournament. They were 11 and 21 overall, three and 15 in the conference following year, nine and 20 overall. And the year after that, 14 and 17. So they had three straight losing seasons, three straight losing seasons in conference. And it was probably time for some fresh blood, somebody to energize the program. And we see exactly what's happening now when you do make the right hire. So, you know, I think it's just a, it's a good reminder. It's why I never criticize fan bases that are, that are hungry for more because sometimes there's more to be had and it's possible to appreciate what a coach did for the program and, um, and, you know, have fond memories of that while still realizing there's there's more out there. And Kansas State's a great example. Uh, Iowa State is a great example as well, where they brought in TJ Otzelberger a year ago, and and they've completely turned that program around. Uh, Steve Prom, Steve, uh, he had been there, took over for, for Fred Hoiberg, and they had had two straight losing seasons, including an 0-18 season in conference in 2021. Otzelberger comes in. They go to the Sweet 16 last year. Now they're 14-4 and this season. Number 12 in Ken Palm. Almost certainly going to make the tournament again, and they could be a top-four seed in the tournament. So just a quick aside on like what why I, I always hesitate to criticize a fan base that wants more because it, more can be possible. You know, fans know when you've fallen into a little bit of a rut. Kansas State, Iowa State on Tuesday this week is a huge game. One of the games of the week. And as recently as last year, you'd sound crazy if you said that. And I can't wait to watch that one. So, yeah, it happened quick, and it's and it's awesome. Yeah, in 2021, those two programs finished last and second to last with a combined conference record of 4-32. and 32. <laughs> Not great. <laughs> Two years later, new coaches, they're fighting for the top of the Big 12. So just a great story, and uh, we'll talk a little bit more about Kansas State in in, in a few minutes, actually. So we'll, we'll hold off on going any deeper on them for now because uh, we're going to talk about them a little bit more in, in a moment. All right, moving on the rest of the top five. Number three, Purdue. Look, we finally got to a top five team that, that didn't lose this week. Purdue won three times. They had a couple nail biters, survived uh, Michigan State on the road, 64 to 63 on Monday. Then they dominated Minnesota middle of the week, holding them to just 39 points. Unbelievable defensive performance. And then today survived 58-55 against our Maryland Terrapins. It was a game that seemed like it was going to be a blowout early. I basically tweeted something to that effect that it was over like 10 minutes into the game and Maryland just needs to look ahead to the next four and potentially go in three and one or four and oh. But Maryland fought back hard. They made it a game, uh, had a few chances at the end, and Purdue survived. So we'll get to the Maryland aspect of that in a second. I talked midweek about how my opinion of Purdue had really changed following that Michigan State game. 
because of the performance of Fletcher Lawyer. And my whole question about this team had been about the guards and you got to have guards to win in, in March. And do they have what it takes? And Fletcher Lawyer either scored or assisted on the last 14 points in that game in Breslin Center in a hostile environment where fans were chanting about him and his brother who formerly had played at Michigan State. And he came up big when it mattered most. He hit clutch free throws. He made big plays. And I said, I felt like that show, if you can do it in Breslin, you can do it anywhere. And I still believe that. But Purdue had a couple a couple scares this week. You were already on that Purdue is a national, a true national championship contender bandwagon, right? So are you feeling even more confident? Where's your confidence level on Purdue? Are you more confident? Has this week uh, raised that level or are you kind of steady? I would call it steady. You know, you like to see teams that you are thinking can go far win in a variety of ways. And like in the game against Maryland on Sunday, like the, none of the guards played well, right? Like, like Zach Eady did his thing. And, um, you know, I think that they like frustrated him sort of at times, but he had 24 and 16. So he got his, but the, the, the guards really didn't do much and they were still able to, to pull it out. I am nervous. Like when they lost to Rutgers and then again today, like some of the, like uh, you, you can pressure those guards and kind of, cause fits a little bit on them. So that's a bit scary, but one of the things about today, uh, about today's game that was, I thought was interesting. Like Braden Smith played particularly not that great, right? He didn't make a field goal in 31 minutes, but he still like calmly sank some of the most important free throws of the game. And we talked a little bit offline about in that, in that uh, Fletcher lawyer instance in Breslin, like the reason that they're, you were able to doubt them earlier. It was like they're inexperienced guards, but like it's things like that, that seem you expect experienced guards to do. So they like put, so between lawyer in the last game or in the Michigan state game and Smith today, who like was not playing well and was able to just step up to the line. And he's a great free throw shooter, but it's still high pressure situation. You might be frustrated that you haven't made a field goal. And he went eight for eight from the line um, for his eight points in the game. To me, those are the type of things that lead to winning. So it was an ugly day, but I actually do still feel good about Purdue because they make winning plays when they need to, even if they haven't had a a real winning day. You mentioned the turnovers a little bit, Brian, and I think that Rutgers and to a, a bit of a lesser extent, Maryland, have given the country a bit of a blueprint for how you could beat Purdue and it's put pressure on those guards you know the best way to limit Zach Eady is to never let him touch the ball right and I think pressure on those guards is a good way is a very good way to do it and Rutgers did it even more successfully than Maryland did and Rutgers is a physical team they have long guards and I would be very interested in a sweet 16 or a elite eight matchup between a school like Purdue and let's say Iowa State, for example, that leads the country in defensive turnover percentage, forcing turnovers 28% of the time on 28% of defensive possessions, or UCLA, another school in the top 10 in turnover percentage. Like how would UCLA or how would Purdue handle teams like that? I think that's something interesting to watch. And then the other matchup I think would be really interesting to watch is a matchup like Arizona, because 
we're going to get to that UCLA Arizona game, but I came away from that game really impressed with one of Arizona's big men, uh, Tabellis, who's a, I, I believe he was an all pack 10 guy last year. He's right now one of the top players in the country and he's a seven footer, six eleven, seven feet, something like that. But what impressed me about him was there was one play in that game where he kind of pick so it was a pick it was a pick play on ball screen and he set the pick but instead of rolling to the basket he um he popped and i forget who it was maybe maybe bona on UCLA who they hedged it that's how they played the ball screen and because of that hedge and the pop Tubelas got the ball around the you know at the at the three point line, but he had the space where he took a couple dribbles and dunked it right. And so basically, there he has the ability to draw opposing bigs away from the basket because he has that driving ability. Because um, and 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 I think he can shoot it a little bit too. Yeah, he's not a doesn't shoot a ton from the outside, but when he does, he makes. He's only taken twenty threes on the year, but he's nine of twenty. So that's another interesting thing with Zach Eady. Like he has been outstanding this year, but if you can draw him away from the basket a little bit on defense, I think that changes the complexion of Purdue's defense a bit, right? When you don't have that rim protector in there. So I think there's a few things with Purdue that are going to be interesting to watch. I mean, do you think, what do you think about that, that point on drawing Edie away from the basket? Do you think that's legit? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great call out. I, I think, he still doesn't seem like to he's really good at what he does really well, but it does seem like you can kind of disturb that and, and make him a bit uncomfortable and force him to do things he doesn't want to do. And so, yeah, I think that's a great point. Well, while we're talking about Purdue, let's do a little Terps. Uh, we haven't done a Maryland minute when it comes to basketball really this year. So let's do it, Brian for Maryland. It was a great effort, uh, falling three points short of Purdue in what's a really tough matchup for them. Maryland severely limited inside, uh, really the, the tallest regular that they play is Julian Reese at six, nine backup. Well, they have a backup big guy, Caleb Swanton Roger, who's six eleven, but he's a freshman. He only played six minutes a day. He doesn't play a whole lot. So Maryland severely limited, um, severely limited in the front court. And I think they played Edie about as well as you can. You mentioned he had 24 points. I think it was 16 rebounds, 24 and 16. But they did a good job of trying to keep the ball out of his hands. They were physical. They battled him. And and Maryland just fell short. How are you feeling coming away from that game today about the Terps? Yeah, like you know, encouraged, not a huge moral victories guy, but like you said, like you had, you had sort of been like, yeah, this looks like it's not going to go well. Right. Like Edie got a dunk real early on and it was like, okay. And I mean, they obviously went down by double digits pretty quickly. Um, so to fight back like they did, I, I was really happy. I was really impressed. Um, you mentioned Julian Reese. Like I, I think that was maybe one of, if not the, best game of his career I mean certainly as far as against a a good not a cupcake non-con that you'd expect him to dominate so he he seems to be looking more confident and if and if he can come around it means a lot it 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 was poor timing for Jameer Young's kind of hot streak to to fade off a bit right because he's been playing so 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 well um and and you know credit to him because I think in the second half he 
started he, he still facilitated the offense uh, even though he hadn't been kind of scoring um as much as we're used to seeing him score but i i feel good like going into the next four that are all of which are are winnable games i think they belong right in the thick of it i think the tournament is still right there and man they they can't shoot a three into the ocean but and it's really frustrating every game to be sub 20% from three. But they are finding ways to remain competitive despite the fact that they have this glaring weakness that doesn't seem like it's going to fix itself. So I, they're they're a fun team to they're, – they're pesky. It's kind of a fun team to root for. But, you know, would have loved to see the miracle happen today. Yeah, Maryland's 6 of 36 over, the, over its last two – games beyond the arc not a recipe for winning not a recipe for pulling off a a big upset like they needed to today they had some really good chances to actually tie it late in the game from three open looks that that just didn't fall I, i have to imagine there is some regression coming where that that percentage is going to tick up a bit i don't think you'll ever see this maryland team as a great three point shooting team but they can't continue to shoot sub 20 around 15 percent from three i mean that's just that's unheard of they have a guy in donald carey who had made his name in the big east as a three-point shooter he shot 39 percent last year and 45 percent the year before on a a decent amount of looks so yeah that that's frustrating something they got to figure out but brian i gotta say walking away from this game today I could not be more encouraged about Julian Reese's performance. And if Maryland can get that Julian Reese to even in, I don't know, 50 to 75% of the games, the rest of the way out, I don't, I can't count Maryland out against anybody. He had 19 points, which is his career high in big 10 play. His overall career high was 24 points, uh, which he had against Coppin state in November. So, you know, like you said, against legit competition, I think this was pretty clearly his best game ever, especially to do it against a guy like Zach Eady, who is far and away the best player in the country, a guy who is bigger than him, uh, more physical than him, and he didn't back down at all. And it gave me a whole new hope for this Maryland team and who they can compete with. Because I'd kind of been saying, if, you know, it's kind of a flow chart. If Maryland was on the road and they were facing an all-conference seven-footer, it just wasn't going to happen. Now, I'm like, okay, they face Hunter Dickinson and Zach Eady in back-to-back games. They they allowed them each to get their points, but I didn't feel... Dickinson certainly did not dominate the game against Maryland to, to any extent. Edie was dominant, but he's one of the most dominant players of the country, but they found some ways to keep the ball out of his hand. So I, I'm just really encouraged this week by Maryland. You've got to imagine some of those threes will will start to fall soon. And I'm definitely in... Like, I will be... I, I want them to make the tournament very badly. I, I'm not going to say I'm in tournament or bust mode because I could see them still having a, a, what is viewed as a very successful first season for Kevin Willard without making the tournament. But, I mean, I'm going to be... I can't say I won't be disappointed if they don't make the tournament, given how they started, given some of the wins they have, and given what we've seen this week where they're they're really competitive in Big Ten play. I think 10-10 and 10 in conference will do it. Ken Palm projects them to go 10 and 10 right now, but I think they have to go three and one or better over this stretch of the next four, which is Wisconsin at home, Nebraska at home, Indiana at home, and Minnesota on the road. 
So that that's really what we're looking out for over the next four games. Uh, do you, uh, I'll just ask you point blank. Do you think they're going to do it? Are they, can they go three and one or better over those four games? I think they can. I really do. I, I think Minnesota is not a team you should take lightly, but they are a team you should beat. Uh, that's the fourth of the four. Wisconsin, right? They, we, they've already shown they're right there with that team and getting them at home. I think that's a team you sort of expect them to split with. So if you're saying split Nebraska, Indiana, I think that that's realistic. I, and I think that, like you said, like leaving Sunday's game, it just feels like they're going to be in all of them. They're, they're not going to come lay eggs against, against these teams. So, yeah, I anticipate they will. I think so too. I really do. I think that's, I think they can get the three and one Indiana will be the most difficult game. That is a team that was really falling and is now really surging after losing three in a row. They've won three in a row, including games against Wisconsin, Illinois, and Michigan state today. So that that's going to be a tough matchup. Trace Jackson Davis, talk about a guy who's playing as well as anybody in the country. Trace Jackson Davis over his last two games has 66 points and 24 rebounds quite a two-game stretch from Trey Jackson Davis there so I think that'll be the toughest game but it's a home game and uh Maryland's played really well at home so I think uh if I had to rate right now like how the Kevin Willard year one is going to me it's about I'm probably about an an eight right now I think that's 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 exactly it you know he honestly didn't do himself any favor starting out eight and oh right because you started to to dream uh, but I, I, I'm with you. There's, there's, there's excitement. We're in games. You can see the formation of an identity. He's going to get his guys in there. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling about as good as you can after a, a near miss of upsetting a top five team. Well, another team that's feeling really good about itself is the number four team in the country. And that's Alabama, Brian. Two road wins this week. 78-66 win against Vanderbilt midweek. And then yesterday, Saturday, an 85-64 thrashing of Missouri. This is a team, well, I won't, don't want to talk too much about this team yet because we're going to get to our top five right after we get to UCLA, the UCLA-Arizona game here. So suffice it to say, this team is playing very well, and we were, are going to talk more about them very, very soon. So let's move on to that big game. I thought it was the biggest, most important game of the weekend, UCLA-Arizona UCLA did their desert road trip, beating uh, Arizona State 74 to 62 on Thursday. And then they went to the McHale Center to take on the Arizona Wildcats. And they lost 58 52 to an Arizona team that has been up and down throughout the season, but they showed up to play on Saturday. I don't think anybody's going to put this one in the college basketball hall of fame or show it off as a, as a reason why you should watch college basketball, although it was a great crowd, fantastic crowd as it always is for big games at Arizona, but it was, it was not exactly beautiful basketball to watch. Did you feel like this game, this win for Arizona was more about Arizona or more about UCLA? Oh man, I, I have thought uh, throughout this season, and I and I don't think it has changed for me that that UCLA is the team in the Pac-12, and so generally I will view it through a UCLA lens. They created some havoc late defensively. They started decent, and for the middle eighty percent of the game, 
they weren't making enough shots. I didn't, but but it felt to me like that's what it was, right? It was it was a cold game. We've talked about a few of them on this very episode. Um, I think Arizona's a good team. I think they'll be in the top ten after this. I think it's, um, but like you said, they've been a little bit hot and cold. For me, UCLA is is a legit contender. They, you know, got, you know, I would say Arizona withstood kind of their um, physicality early on. But yeah, I, to me, it's UCLA. I, they were cold, and and I think that that's what I saw. But I'm interested to hear if you feel the same way because I know there are some people out there who are extremely high on Arizona. Well, here's the thing for me about this game. In the first half, this was a game in the low 20s, and what I was thinking at the time was this game, this style, significantly favors UCLA. Like, this is the kind of game UCLA wants to play. It's a, it's a tough, grinded-out game, mostly played in the half court, and I think that favors UCLA. And I felt like I got to give credit to Arizona because they... I talked about this in the preview, but they had really struggled in their losses against uh, opposing big men. They they had got torched despite the fact that they played two seven-footers almost all the time, and that didn't happen. That's not the strength of UCLA's team, and the strength of UCLA's team is is driving and getting to the basket with Jaime Jaquez and Tiger Campbell, and those guys really struggled in that game. Jaquez went 5 of 17, Campbell went 5 of 18, and they struggled to hit shots from the outside. Uh, the rest of the team did, as did those two. And I I felt like Arizona played well. I give them all the credit in the world for this. Courtney Ramey hit some really good, hit some really timely threes in this game. He's a great three-point shooter. Uh, I talked about Tubelis a little bit earlier. That guy is an absolute matchup nightmare, and I really like his game, especially against a, a big who's not quite as mobile like Zach Eady is. But Arizona is still a team. Like, you gotta prove it. You gotta prove it. It's, it's really easy and I think a lot of coaches will tell you this, it's really easy to get your team up for UCLA at home. But you know, it's a little bit harder to get your team up for Utah on December 1st on a Thursday night on the road, and that's a game they lost by 15. It's hard to get up for Washington State at home. It's a Saturday night. Maybe you just want to get that game over with and go out for the night, right? That's a, a nothing team. You have better things to do than, than take that team seriously. And that's another game they got blown out in. So I give credit for Arizona, credit to Arizona. I think they showed me a lot by being able to play that style with UCLA. And they showed that, you know, they don't have to be this up and down run and gun team. They can win in a, in a different way but they need to show me that night in and night out. Otherwise, they're a team that's susceptible to a second round upset come tournament time if they're not willing to put in that kind of defensive effort they did every single night. Now, having said that, I still really like UCLA as well. Um, I thought this was a potential, not a letdown spot, but just a tough spot to go into because... Arizona is going to get up for this game and UCLA is now 15 to one to win the national championship, which I bet earlier today. 
because I think this is still a, a very good team. Defense travels. I, they they got a lot of good open looks in this game that some of which they just didn't knock down. But on the year, they're a thirty five percent shooting team from beyond the arc, which is fantastic. It puts them in the top 100 in the country, and it's not something that I'm really concerned about. I thought Jaime Jaquez did a good job trying to create. Just some of those shots were not falling for him. And, and again, credit to Arizona for how they defended him. Um, and then they've been without Amari Bailey since December 30th. The last time he played was December 21st. He, he is a freshman who had been in their starting lineup. So I think there's still a lot of upside with this UCLA team. I would say give I give a lot of credit to Arizona for the way they played. I need to see more out of them on a night in and night out basis. And I think for right now, I'm willing to chalk this up for UCLA as a tough spot. They didn't shoot well. And I think they're going to rebound and move on. And that's why I bet them 15 to one to win the national title today. I like it. I like it. I think that's a great call. And I think it's a great segue too, because I know we've been talking about getting to our top fives and I know we skipped a team and I think we skipped them because you're extremely high on them. So fire away. Let's do top fives. Yeah. Top five. So I'll run it down. Uh, Air, uh, Alabama, my number one team in the country, followed by Purdue, Houston, Kansas State at number four. Maybe a little uh, TCU of That's the exactly college basketball <laughs> world. You know, I like to give credit when you get big wins. Kansas State gets credit. And then number five, I still have UCLA there. So let's talk Alabama, my number one team in the country. Brian, this is a team that just dominates night in and night out. Since the beginning of the new year, they are 6-0. and They're, as far as efficiency goes, they are the number nine team in offensive efficiency. They are the number two team in defensive efficiency. They play a fun style of basketball. They get up and down the court. Uh, Brandon Miller is one of the most fun players to watch in the country, a 6'9 freshman who kind of just does everything. This team has been unchallenged and essentially untested since losing to Gonzaga in the middle of December. I love this team. They're playing fantastic right now. And uh, I, I don't see how you can put any other team in the country uh, as number one, given given the wins that this team has racked up in SEC play. And, and not just the fact that they've won, but how they've looked in those wins. So Alabama, number one team in the country for me. Yeah, you, you mentioned it. So eight straight wins since the loss to Gonzaga and none of them by single digits, right? All double digit wins. They're fun. And like you said, with Brandon Miller, I mean, I, you know, he is a lottery pick lock. I feel like at this point he does everything and he looks like an NBA player. I think it's a great call out. You know, they, they had, they have two double digit losses, you know, but two good, good enough teams, UConn and of course Gonzaga. Um, but they're, they're playing a really, really fun brand of basketball. So I think you nailed it. Um, I'll do my top five too. Uh, I, I, I'm with you. So we have four in identical spots and I, I much like with TCU, you're going to beat me to uh, put in K state in the top five. I don't have them in there quite yet. So I have Alabama one, Purdue two, Houston three, Tennessee four and UCLA five. Um, I, I really like what Tennessee has done this year. Um, they look like a complete team to me. Um, and and look like a team that can stand stand up come uh, come March. I had 
it up in front of me. I don't anymore, but I believe uh, they, yeah, they're Ken Palm's number two team. They have the number one adjusted defense at Ken Palm. Um, they're ferocious. We, we saw them play a, a tighter one, maybe than expected against Maryland. Um, but uh, other than the blip on the radar against Kentucky recently, nothing too much to complain about. I mean, a double digit loss to Colorado early in the season, but they seem to have improved past that. Um, you know, two road wins in conference this week, uh, beating Mississippi state by 11, beating LSU by 21. Um, you know, another game I expect them to win against Georgia. Yeah. I think they just have a lot of guys who can, who can beat you. Um, Josiah Jordan James had, had kind of led the way in the most recent win at LSU, but they have a ton of guys. Um, and so I, I really like them and I have them in, in the four spot. I'm interested to see them play Alabama, honestly, because they those two teams play such different styles of play. And I am in, as a reminder, a, a two to one on Tennessee to win the SEC. So um, I, I can't say I'm, I'm not with you in terms of at least rooting for them to be a top five team at the moment. But Tennessee is slow it down, grind it out, win with defense. And Alabama is the exact opposite. So a really interesting contrasting of styles. I consider Tennessee, Brent, I did. Uh, but the reason I ultimately couldn't put them in there was I just felt like they are more susceptible to, like that Kentucky loss spooked me a little bit. And I know Kentucky is a talented team. I know that that's a rivalry game. But at home, as a 13-point favorite, I believe it was, I need to see a little bit more out of them than that. And it, it kind of scared me in terms of what can happen. Like th their offense is not the greatest offense in the world. From a efficiency perspective, they're ranked 31st. Um, they turn the ball over a lot is the thing that scares me. They're really good at offensive rebounding. So that kind of can make up for it. You're like gaining possessions back when you lose your possessions with turnovers. But that does scare me a little bit. Anytime a team is, is turning the ball over a lot. And, you know, um, so that's kind of why I couldn't put Tennessee in there as I, I'm a little spooked about that Kentucky loss. They've had two good bounce back wins, but that Mississippi state game right after was a pretty ugly one as well. I watched a good amount of that first half at halftime of that game. It was 23 to 23. And that's kind of what started making me think a little bit about like, okay, is this Tennessee offense a, a real question mark? And I think it is. I want to see a little bit more from them. And uh, the reason that I put Kansas State in there is I, I'm not I don't think I'm being too much of a prisoner of the moment with this because this team is six and one in the conference. They had the huge win over Kansas that we talked about. They have two losses on the year, one to Butler in November and then TCU. I don't at this point in the season, honestly, I don't care a ton about November results. How much do you care about November results as we move into February? I, I don't. I, I'm big into I mean, they'll be considered when you're looking at seeding and things like that, but I don't think like Colorado beating Tennessee, right? I'm not, I, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty past that. I think I'm with you there. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think like it, you have to, you have to make those November games meaningful. So it needs to be taken into account just like a January game for seeding. But as far as like when I'm looking at a team, I feel like teams change so much from November to March that it's almost, it's almost irrelevant was as far as forward looking goes. Yeah. Um, 
So yeah, that's I mean that's kind of why I put Kansas State in there. I think they're they're riding a good wave right now. Um, they were just so impressive in that game against against Kansas, and I think they just have a good energy about them. Honestly, I guess I'm operating a, a bit on vibes here, but <laughs> they you know they have a lot of big games left. Everybody in the Big Twelve does. This week they play Iowa State on Tuesday, so we talked about that one earlier. That'll be that'll be a big one, um, and I I just think. Keontae Johnson, the combination of Keontae Johnson and uh, Marquise Noel, they are they are fun to watch. They Jerome Tang, it's just so much energy, so much fun. And uh, I got to put Kansas State in the top five. I got to give credit where it's due. When you beat Texas, Baylor, and Kansas in a three week period, I I got to give some credit there. So Kansas State, top four team for me. TCU of basketball. <laughs> the TCU of basketball. I like it. All right. That's kind of the top of the sport there. Let's move on to some other news. And then we'll finish out with a who's in, who's out. Some news here, Brian. Mike Bray at the end of this season will step down as Notre Dame's head coach. In an article I read, it was very clear to point out that he will not be necessarily retiring from coaching altogether. However, he did confirm he will be retiring from Notre Dame. So Mike Bray done at Notre Dame. He's been there a long time. I'm hopefully going to get a Notre Dame expert on the show to talk a little bit about this later this week in one of our, one of our midweek shows, but I want to call it out quickly because Mike Bray has been a fixture in college basketball for a long, long time. He's had some very good teams at Notre Dame. He's been the coach there since 2001. And some of those teams in the, you know, I guess it was like 2015 through 2017 were at the very top of the sport, back-to-back elite eights in 2015 and 2016. And in recent years, really hasn't been able to, to reach that level again. Only one tournament appearance since 2018 and that was uh, the 2022 season last year where they were an 11 seed and reached the reached the second round i believe they advanced through the the play-in game beat Rutgers, then upset alabama before losing to texas tech so mike bray will no longer be the head coach at notre dame at the end of this season any thoughts on like how do you think of mike bray when when you think about him well, I'm I'm fairly certain he was the runner-up for the Maryland job, or certainly considered for it, uh, or, or interested in it. Um, uh, and to be honest with you, like it wasn't something that got me particularly sized for the program bounce back. But he's one of those guys who's just been like a fixture for so long that you know you almost can't help but respect what he did. I think I, I read 16 20 win seasons in Notre Dame and. Like you said, he had some really good teams in in some of you know the what felt like my formative years as a college basketball fan. So, yeah, just a solid job and and really interesting what you called out, right? Like we it seems like we might see him in some way, shape, or form again in the future. He's only sixty three years old, you know. He's he's got some juice left in him. It seems if he wants to, um, but uh, you know, seems like one of those like helping ease a transition that maybe both parties know is going to come in the near future, anyways. Um, so yeah, just seems like a, a respectable, upstanding guy. That's kind of my, my Mike Bray. He's, he's like a little, he's just kind of there and he's doing his thing. That's my thought of Mike Bray. When I think of him, I think of, first of all, I think of turtlenecks. 
first and yes. foremost. Like, I feel like he's always rocking those turtlenecks. Uh, it's an interesting look. But <laughs> after that, I, I think of really good offenses. When, when he had things going at Notre Dame, he had some really fantastic offenses. And, uh, and he was able to get talent out of the D.C. area. He was a DeMatha guy. And um, he, he got a lot of good talent out of the, the D.C. area, some talent that we certainly would have loved to have gotten at Maryland at, at some of those points over the year. So, um, yeah, I, I just think that that's kind of what I think of turtlenecks, offenses, and and getting guys from the DMV. I, I really hope I can get somebody on to talk because, you know, one of the things that I have had insinuated to me about him is it's not the the stretch that has occurred where they have not been as successful is not as much about him holding the program back and really more about some kind of investment things in the program that have held him back. Um, so, you know, I, I'd love to dive into that a little bit deeper. I don't I don't consider myself an expert enough to know, but that's what's kind of been insinuated to me in the past by somebody who would know. So, you know, I wasn't a huge fan of, like, I, I wasn't dying to bring in Mike Bray to Maryland either. However, I do think there could have been something to the, you know, a change of scenery, a guy that still knows how to coach basketball pretty well, but maybe doesn't have everything that he needs at at the school he was at and uh, a change of change of scenery might've done him well. That's interesting. Uh, obviously that would weigh in as part of this question, but 32nd answer, like how do you view Notre Dame as a basketball coaching job? Yeah. Uh, so I think it's complicated because I think Notre Dame is certainly a football school first and foremost, obviously, but I don't know that it's a football school like Alabama, like a lot of these sec schools that are going to take a ton of money and devote it to basketball for whatever reason. Um, I think there are still, you know, I think a lot of schools use this as a crutch, but there are some really, there are some very real academic standards at Notre Dame that um, can make it tougher. So I think like with the basketball program at, at Notre Dame, you kind of have all of the challenges that the football program has of it being a small school of those academic requirements of some of the other things that go along with it while not really having the benefit of being Notre Dame of being touchdown Jesus right you don't you don't have that from a basketball perspective you don't have a hundred years of history as one of the top five programs historically in the history of the sport so um I think they certainly will attract a, a very talented coach i'm sure i think they'll they could easily attract a sitting head coach um but i think there are i think there are some challenges that go along with the job is that fair yeah yeah i think you nailed it all righty brian let's uh let's finish up today with who's in and who's out and then we'll do a, a quick look at the week ahead as well so we'll, not not quite finished yet but who's in who's out as a reminder Every week, we're going to go through a few things. It's, you know, approaching the tournament. We love to say, this is in, this team's in, this team's out. Touch on uh, tournament teams, touch on a, a variety of topics here. So let me start off. We talked a lot about our top five today, the top of the sport. Of the top five, give me one team that's in as a legit national title contender and one team that's out. 
of my top five that I that I presented. Of okay. the top five that we uh of the current top five AP top five that we went through today. Okay. So okay. Houston, Kansas, Purdue, Alabama, UCLA. Oh man. Um I'll put Alabama in, right? We're we're heaping their praises um as a as a legit title contender, and I think that that makes sense. If I have to pick one of these teams that I'm that's giving me pause now, I, I think it would be Kansas. Obviously a super rough week for Kansas, but you know, getting run off your home floor, coming off a loss in what I expected to be a, a bounce back spot, um, gives me pause. So that's my in and out. Okay, so I'll deviate from you. Uh, I do think Alabama's in, but I, I, I said a lot about UCLA, and I said how I bet them to win the national championship. So give me UCLA in. I will also take Kansas out for all of the reasons that you just said. No need to repeat when you nailed it. Perfect. Moving on to our next one, Brian. All right, in or out? Got to give me one in and one out. The Big Ten will get 10 teams in the tournament. I'm sorry, the Big Ten will get 11 teams in the tournament, so that's 79% of the league, or the Big 12 will get nine teams, 90% of the league in the tournament. Who's in, who's out? I'm going 90% of the Big 12 in and Big 10 out. I think, uh, I think like, you know, as you look at those fringe teams, maybe like an Oklahoma state gets in, right? Like I, I think they're just so quality top to bottom that I think the, the bubble teams in the big 12 will get more wins than, than like Penn state and Northwestern. Like, are they really both going to make the tournament? I, I don't know. It could happen. It seems I can I can poke holes in that a little bit easier than trying to find one additional because I can name I can name six Big Twelve essential locks. I can name two, you know, West Virginia, Oklahoma that like I think will get it done. And then you're just kind of looking for one more, and maybe it is maybe it is the poke. So I'll go Big Twelve in. I'm going to agree with you there, and my main, my main reason is this. The Big 12, they picked up more quality wins in the out-of-conference that now gives the rest of the league credibility. So, you know, like, for example, Texas beating Gonzaga, that carries weight for the rest of the league now every time Texas uh, loses a game to a conference foe. That they have credibility because of that. And when you look at the Big Ten, you know, you look at a team like Rutgers, who I love, they're playing great, but they lost to Temple in the non-conference. And I know Temple just beat Houston today, but Temple's also lost to Wagner and Maryland Eastern Shore. So, you know, that's not a great loss. And outside of that, like on Rutgers' schedule, they didn't beat anybody of con- of uh, of consequence. Uh, you look at, like, o- Ohio State, Everybody they played in the non-conference, that's very much a bubble team. Their best win is Texas Tech, who has not won a game in the Big 12 yet. So I am going with the Big 12 because they had a better non-conference. It's going to carry a little bit more weight. And I think uh, I think that'll be the key at the end of the day. I'm with you. I think the Big 10 is a very deep league, but just not enough good non-conference wins and not enough top 25 wins in not top 25 teams in the league where I think all these teams 
kind of two through 13 are just going to beat each other up and, and, and knock each other out. So I'm going to agree with you there. Big 12 in big 10 out. Okay. Um, so this is a wide open college basketball season. Like we talked about top five teams going down left and right. What's your preferred type of college basketball season? You want a wide open season or a few dominant teams like we've seen the last few years. You know, we've had some dominant runs from Gonzaga, Baylor, Kansas. Uh, which one's in, which one's out? Dominant or a wide open season? I like a wide open season. I like having to divert my attention to a bunch of different teams as I try to find who could win the national championship, right? Like, like we were just talking about which top five team do we really think is going to win it where on these dominant seasons, like we knew unbeaten Gonzaga was going to right? like that was fun when they were undefeated. And of course they ended up losing in the championship game and what was not a particularly close matchup. Um, but it was fun to watch like the quest for an undefeated season. That was cool. But I think generally speaking, I like when there's a lot, a lot of parody, it just kind of makes, every night in the sport more exciting we're we're seeing all of these ranked teams lose i mean when we did our show last sunday it was like 11 ranked teams lost that weekend like that's fun to me it's fun when you aren't surprised when teams at the top you, you might be surprised by who they lose to but you certainly aren't expecting them to dominate all the time and run the table or anything like that wide open season just like this year in for me Okay, I disagree with you. I'm going to take, I want a couple dominant teams. There's nothing more fun than like that 2015 season where Kentucky was going for the undefeated season. Then Wisconsin knocks them off in the final four. You feel like you're watching this legendary team and then all of a sudden up in smoke. I love that. I love those Gonzaga that, that Gonzaga Baylor season two years ago, where you know all you're like, these are two unbelievable teams. We're hopefully going to see them play. I think those upsets have more meaning when you have a really dominant team. When you have teams in the top five that have five, six, seven losses, like it loses some of its luster for me. So I, I want a couple dominant teams. That's what's in for me. Wide open season? Hey, still love it. But for this exercise, it's got to be out. And our last one for today, we had the NFL divisional round this weekend. Uh, a little bit lackluster, if we're being honest with ourselves here, I, I would say. We're kind of in the midst of uh, of Cowboys 49ers right now, the 90s, 90s throwback game. That one's close at the end of the third quarter. I think it's tied 9-9 end of the third quarter here. So maybe we'll have a classic fourth quarter, but rest of the weekend, a bit lackluster. But look. Around this time, you see people making lists like, what are the best sports weekends of the year? I think, obviously, it's March Madness, first and second round. That's clear. I don't think we need to discuss it much further than that. I think number two, for me and probably for you, too, is college football opening weekend. Like, Labor Day is a is that's a that's a holiday weekend. That's about as good as it gets. So I think those are the clear top two. And probably for anybody listening to this podcast, you agree. So I want to make it a little more interesting. You see this NFL divisional round comes up on these lists a lot. Do you prefer, which one's in, which one's out, the NFL divisional round or the Kentucky Derby weekend? Because that's a weekend where you have the Derby, NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs, and usually like a big combat sports fight, whether it's MMA, boxing, whatever. So which one's in, which one's out? 
Yeah, I think you're going to get on me for for being a a, a basic B here. Um, I, I'm going NFL divisional round. I'm I'm a sucker, man. I, it, it is a funny time to say that as this. It, you were far too kind. This weekend has been pretty boring. Um, you know, the the games either aren't close or you know. It, I know the Jaguars ended up only losing by a touchdown, but I don't, I didn't expect them to, to beat the chiefs or anything like that. Um, so this particular one hasn't been good, but when, when you get like four even matchups over the weekend, it, it's hard to beat for me. So listen, love, love the Derby, love NBA NHL playoffs. I like the cross sport nature of that one. Um, but listen, good. Goodell's got me, bro. Nothing I can do. It's in NFL divisional round. Well, let's, I mean, for my money, Brian, nothing, there's probably never been a better NFL game to simply watch than the Bills Chiefs game in last year's divisional round, right? Right. right. I mean, you know, we talk about prisoner of the moment a lot, but I don't care. That, that was an incredible (laughs) game. That, that was a game that for me, like really drew me back into the NFL as someone who doesn't particularly care for a team anymore doesn't have a, a ton of passion for um any one particular team that game was like wow i this is incredible and uh really sucked me back in but at the end of the day i do need to go with the derby weekend not a big combat sport guy so that's kind of out for me like i don't i just won't watch it if there is a big fight i really don't care but i mean i I do love horse racing i I mean look it's something you can gamble on and you y'all have heard this show so not said right uh i like i like horse racing it's it's fun derby is fun going there is one of the highlights of you know sporting events i've ever been to in my life I, i love that and then uh i mean i love that cross sport nature of it like you mentioned it's also kind of an informal kickoff to summer in a way it's like you it's weather's getting nice you have all these sports on you're watching maybe go to a a bar with some outdoor tvs i remember there was one place that i went to in atlanta that would have a big kentucky derby party which was fun and you have all the other games on uh love the nhl that that it does have a team that i actually care about in it i like the nba a lot that has a team that i care about but is hardly ever in the playoffs so look i like the cross sport nature of it i like the gambling aspect of it i like the nice weather aspect of it so give me the derby weekend in divisional playoff round out all right one little long here but let's finish up give me one game you are looking forward to this week in the world of college basketball brian yeah we talked about uh one of these teams a lot but i'm gonna stick with it i'm looking at thursday's purdue michigan game this is the first time that hunter dickinson has played a 30 minutes a night zach Eady. the last time that these two teams played uh hunter went for 22 and 9 in 35 minutes Edie went for 10 and 6 in 17 minutes it's a different looking purdue team this year but just the two trees of the big 10 getting together i think it's going to be a, a fun game to watch All right, I got Saturday. We got that SEC Big 12 Challenge. I think there's a lot of games I'm going to be looking forward to that weekend. But Texas going on the road to Tennessee. We talked about Tennessee a bit. And I want to see, you know, I just want to continue to watch this Tennessee team more. I think Texas will provide 
an interesting challenge for them. Again, very divergent styles. Texas likes to get up and down the court. Uh, they're good offensively, and uh, Tennessee wants to slow things down. So want to watch that interconference matchup. And I'm going to cheat. I'm going to give you one more because I am really excited for this game, and it's a uh, women's college basketball game. Ohio State, undefeated Ohio State, takes on Caitlin Clark and Iowa on Monday night. It's a top 10 matchup, uh, should be a fun one. I, I expect it to be a, a packed house for a really fun women's college basketball matchup. If you haven't watched Caitlin Clark at all, I mean, she can shoot lights out. Ohio State undefeated. The Big Ten in women's basketball right now is kind of like the SEC usually is in football. So if you're looking for some good women's college basketball, the Big Ten is the place to find it. Maryland, really good program as well. Brian, you have a lot of experience with the Maryland women's program. Maryland gets to play Ohio State and Iowa four times over the next six weeks or whatever it is to end the season. So some really big chances for there. I think Maryland's number 11 in the country right now. But uh, I'm excited to watch that that women's game on Monday, Ohio State and Iowa. Ryan, as always, it was a pleasure. Love when we get to hang out, talk a little college hoops. Uh, it's a great time. That's our show. Until next time, keep the grill hot and the cooler cold. <laughs>